Welcome to the live season finale of Political Traction. This is a very special episode. For the first time ever, we are joined by a live virtual audience. Can you hear them? No. I don't have an applause sign, so I had to cue them. Uh, that's right. We invited all our colleagues from Navigator from coast to coast to join this special episode because it's really the team here at Navigator who makes this podcast possible, whether it's making introductions to book special guests or sharing smart insights on the topic of the week. The production team behind Political Traction want to say thank you to all of you and to our host, host you here today. We hope you'll keep your microphones on and feel free to participate. I'm also watching the chat, so if you have questions or thoughts or you want to disagree with us, let me know. All right, what a year we've had and what a season. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest and frankly, he's a fan favorite for regular podcast listeners. Uh, he spent 49 years covering and shaping the news from Fleet Street to Chicago to New York to Toronto in no particular order. He's been in charge of, and I'm not kidding, the Edmonton Journal, the Montreal Gazette, the Vancouver Province. He's a founding editor of the National Post, editor-in-chief of the Financial Post. He oversaw the Chicago Sun-Times and its 100 subsidiary newspapers, the New York Daily News, and the Toronto Star. Today, he's an expert panelist at the Canadian Centre for the Purpose of the Corporation. It's the one and only Michael Cook. Wow, what a what 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 an intro! I, I know you wrote it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, so today we wanted to sort of get into the year that was. Um, so before I start going back and forth with Michael on this, um, I wanted to kind of set the stage here. So back when we started the season, which was September 2020, we had I'm like we had no vaccines. Donald Trump was still the president. Julie Payette was still the governor general. The future of the carbon tax hung in the balance of the Supreme Court of Canada still. And the second wave of the pandemic was just beginning, which is really hard to believe. So this week, we're going to get into the best and worst of the last year. And of course, political predictions. This is political traction. All right, Michael. Now, um, before we get into our predictions, which I know you and I have talked about a little bit in advance, I just wanted to talk a bit about your career, right? So you, you 49 years in journalism, shaping the news, you know, behind some of the biggest stories in the world. Do you miss it? Uh, desperately miss it. Yeah, I miss the action of the newsroom. Um, but I also miss, I miss the stuff I did at the beginning. You know, I left school at 16 and became a reporter on the local newspaper in the, in the town where I lived in Northwest England, a town called Morecambe. The paper was called the Morecambe Visitor, the midweek paper with the weekend feeling like a friend dropping in every Wednesday, founded in 1872 when income tax was tuppence in the pound. Facts without fear or favour, a family, an independently owned newspaper. And that taught me the basics. Uh, you know, within the first week, I'm, 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 I'm covering uh, village fates and flower shows and trying to get the names right. Uh, and also, you know, knocking on doors of uh, of, uh, of uh, distressed parents who, whose child has been killed in a in a car crash. So, started very early, uh, trying to get those basics right. I never went to journalism school, although I did teach at journalism school for six or seven years at Concordia in Montreal. So yes, I miss it, but but I don't want to be grandpa on the porch, you know, shaking my fist at the guy. <laughs> saying they don't do it the way they should, uh, because mostly they do, and it's changed. I would not want to be 40 years old in journalism today with uh, two or three kids and a mortgage and wondering 
about my job security because it's much, much, much more difficult now. When I began, I came to Toronto in about 1975. When you joined the Toronto Star in those days, you could look forward to a, a decent uh, salary, a good middle-class life in Toronto. You could eventually, uh, very quickly, buy a house and put your kids through university and have two or three holidays a year and maybe even afford a cottage, Amanda. Today, you, and that was on one salary. Today, it's much more difficult for young people. What's the favorite, your most favorite story of your career? It would be the Rob Ford story, which was which was driven by uh, uh, by Doolittle and Donovan together. Um, and what I liked about that story, and it's such a good lesson for young reporters, is that politicians lie, and they might lie by omission, or they might lie actually to your face, but they lie. And they, and typically, and uh, this is. Not a, well, it is a shot at politicians, I suppose, because we watch them lie at national press conferences even today. Uh, uh, every time there's a press conference, they, they get asked a straightforward question. Our current prime minister, like many prime ministers, is unable to answer a straightforward question. So the Rob Ford lied. And there was a great headline when we had the uh, when uh, Kevin Donovan uh, and um, Robin saw the, the video of uh, the late mayor uh, snorting or uh, doing whatever you do with crack cocaine and he lied he said it wasn't me and it was uh, and in the end the, police, the, the greatest day at the star in my time there was the coast-to-coast -coast press conference by the police chief who said I've seen the video it's real and the mayor is in it um, and that was the beginning of the end for him and it was great dogged investigative work uh, which I think is pretty much the only thing that counts in journalism today. The rest of it is 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 commodity news, standing in front of a podium, uh, sending out your tweets, and then you know going back to the office and doing your broadcast or writing your story, which um, is pretty straightforward. And I, it's a lot of it is stenography. Um, it's it's investigate. It's a commodity. It's investigations that bring the value to journalism, especially investigations that can change. And make changes, uh, and it's not always done by uh, it's not always done by the older journalists. So, uh, although sometimes, uh, mostly it is perhaps. Um, but I like the, the the all kinds of investigations, from political misspending to uh, one of the best ones at the Star was the story of uh, sick kids who were do, who did uh, hair analysis on poor women yeah. uh, whose children were taken away for years. Uh, and it turns out, of course, that the analysis was wrong. And in the end, thanks to the star, um, they uh, they got their children back. So it's it's that kind of journalism that makes a difference. One of the things that troubles me today is 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 so many young people want to start immediately at that level, or so many young people think that anybody cares about their fucking opinions, and they all want to be <laughs> opinion writers. Well, I don't want to know your opinion until you've done you know, the basics. And, and, you know, it's like they say with, uh, with Oscar Peterson or jazz, you know, you can't sit down and play great jazz unless you've started with Beethoven and Mozart and the basics. And that's where I think where we move people along a, a little too fast. Is that too much? No, that's good. That's great. Um, there's a quote I want to read to you that you have said, uh, or I believe you correct me if this is wrong or not, but it's uh, from tabloid wars, which was a, a series is done. And when you were, you were speaking about the New York daily news rivalry with the New York post, Quote from you, I get up in the morning and go out and fight the post. They have no mercy, these people, and neither do we. We put our foot on their throat every day, press down to their eyes, bulge, and leak blood, but they still won't die. We just have to keep at it until they do, and they and die they will. Well, I was wrong about the end of that. Um, no? Because they're not dead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
and that was a bit of tabloid bravado, uh, which was said uh, for television. Um, although, what was that like being in the tabloid wars? Like, I mean, uh, you, you've been described as a swashbuckling editor, like, you know, really take, you know, old school news, you know, that kind of thing. What was that like? Uh, it was it was it was tough and brutal, but I, I worked with a lot of a lot of a lot of good people. You know, the Post came after me uh, many times with several stories, uh, some of which were even true, to try and destabilize the, the 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 manager the managers of the New York Daily News, and they got to me a couple of times in in a way that I, I really didn't like. But they were good. I mean, the New York Post at that time I don't know what it's like now, but at that time was run by some pretty smart people, including. Um, uh, a brilliant Australian editor called Carl Allen, who's, if you Google him, you'll find that he, the first thing he did when he got to the New York Post was to pee in the sink, uh, just to establish, it's like the, like the dog peeing on the lamppost, except he peed in the sink. You know, one of my early days, in my early days there, I, 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 I my owner, uh, Mort Zuckerman, a, a Canadian, um, invited me to his, his place on, on, Fifth Avenue for, for dinner and he was having a dinner for Kofi and Anne and about 15 to 16 other people and he said uh, you'll come for dinner tonight and I said oh this is great I'm gonna have dinner and at the time Kofi Annan was the Secretary General of the United yeah. and I said to uh, the news meeting I'm going for dinner with Kofi Annan and here's what I'm going to do and if I pull it off I'll let you know and I'll you know it would be a, a story of legend when, when the dinner's over and the waiter comes around and says and is delivering the coffee I'm going to say to Kofi uh, Kofi and I'm going to say coffee, Kofi, Kofi, Kofi. Uh, and just as I was about to say that, the waiter said, Coffee, Mr. Secretary General, ruined my, my evening. Oh, no. But coffee, Kofi, Kofi, Kofi is something we use in our family even today. There you go. Well, all right. Um, we, this episode is about a year in review. So in advance, uh, we went back and said kind of some big things I sent to Michael. So, first one is, Politically, we've talked every month this year on the Scrum with you and colleagues about uh, about the news of the week and the year. So what is the biggest win of the year to your mind? Who's the biggest winner out there? Well, the biggest winner is is, is, is the vaccines. Uh, and uh, I'll talk a little later, I think, about the, 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 the immigrant couple who invented uh, Pfizer. Um, I, you know, the vaccines are still, uh, it's the, the biggest... The biggest procurement mess that the Canadian government's been involved in in recent times is the vaccines. Before that, you have to go back 100 years and look at the First World War and the procurement of the Ross rifle, where we sent our young lads off to uh, France with this Ross rifle, uh, which cost a lot of Canadians' lives. So 100 years since, that was a procurement disaster. And at the beginning of the vaccines, it looked as though it's going to be the same thing, didn't it? And now we're, now we've we're still in a procurement mess. Uh, we still can't figure out how to deliver vaccines. We have these long lines in the sun. Nobody bothers to give people chairs. Um, you know, the one thing, one of the things that that makes me throw my phone across the kitchen is when I see yet another journalist tweeting oh look at me I've, i'm double vaxxed and they bear their arm to you and give you a thumbs up sign with a mask on and they do it with an exclamation of triumph as though they've just jumped out of a landing craft on juno beach and helped liberate europe from the nazis you know and you're going yeah okay well done you millennial now back off you know go do something <laughs> else so no, i'm no, i'm no, guilty no. i did not tweet it but i did take Actually, it's funny. I got my second shot yesterday and I'm leaving the city. And it was like a lovely, I would say I was not 
I feel bad for those people in the lineups. Like I call it the vaccine hunger games. Um, but I did not like, I got in whatever and as I'm leaving and they're playing Beatles music and it was this like lovely environment at the city thing. And, uh, and I'm singing and this woman's like, would you like your photo in front of the whatever? I'm like, sure. So I like stood there and she's like, well, why don't you show your, you're like, I'm like, okay. It felt like, you know, like Jack and Rose in the Titanic when she's like, just right. like, all right, fine. Like I poked it down and I took a photo. I did like, I was saying I did full Sophie Trudeau. Cause you know, she did that massive photo op where she, right. so I've not posted it publicly, but I did post it to my Instagram. I but you're admit. feeling, you're feeling pretty smug. You're feeling pretty pleased. With I this. was feeling very pleased with myself. I will say, I also got up at 6 45 in the morning <laughs> to book it, but, and downloaded the discord app. But I, I, I do agree with you, the procurement of it or the whatever, while it's been, it's amazing. We have them. Um, is an ideal. So my biggest winner of the year was, or biggest win of the year was Legault, uh, Premier Legault, because he um, he's the only elected official in Canada, and Navigator did a study on this, to go up in approval and trust in the pandemic. So 43% of Quebecers say they trust him now more versus like Premier Trudeau, 40% trust, 44% trust him less, four is 51%. He kept kids in school. Um, he now has superpowers to unilaterally amend the constitution, apparently, which isn't actually a thing. So I just, I think it's remarkable what he's managed to achieve. So that was sort of my, my victor. And we can't seem to get it right across, never mind internationally, but we can't seem to get it right across our country. Montreal has a a curfew uh, and no no one's really able to say, did it work? Is there a cause and effect? How come Toronto didn't have a curfew? Should we have had one? And I'm looking forward to when the books begin to be written about this pandemic and what we did correctly and what worked and what didn't work. But I'm willing to cut all the politicians who, I, who we criticize and uh, in many cases, rightly so. I, I, I cut them some slack because uh, you know they're all smart in their own way. They're all listening to smart people. And they're all, as my mother used to say, they're doing their best, you know? <laughs> and, and they really are. So, but does it work? Doesn't it work? I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know. We. I think we're 18 months away from figuring that out. Yeah. Um, my second one winner was Trudeau, by the way, because I think despite what should have been, I think a very tough year for him, he's managed to stay Teflon. Right. He's lost his finance minister, the military issues. Um, you know, he didn't actually. People don't remember this, but it took 11 months before he forced international travelers to produce a negative COVID test. Like that's crazy to me that you could travel to Canada. 11 months into the pandemic and you didn't have to prove you didn't have COVID, but yeah. he still sits there and likely will predict later what we think is going to happen in the election campaign, but he may end up with a, well, he's got a whole show up his bum. You know, this week he has uh, the green party uh, defection, you know, for no reason that I can see other than just blatant, I need to be reelected. Yeah. I think, I think that's the kind of disgraceful uh, and disingenuous behavior that gives politicians, whatever bad name they might have. All right. What's your biggest self-own? Biggest example of someone shooting themselves in the foot? Well, apart from the uh, the, the fabulous uh, own, literal own goals this week by the German goalkeeper in that game against <laughs> France the other day, which you can find on uh, YouTube, and another one the day before in that Haiti versus Canada game, which was the most amazing own goal, literal own goal I've ever seen, uh, which is again on YouTube. I would say, it had, for me, it's going to be a man I met a couple of times and certainly admired who would be General Mike Rulo, who, who just to put everyone in the picture, he's, he's, he's been promoted because of people have been fired for the sex stuff in the military. He's running, he's running the military police. And then he, de- and as the young people say, FFS, he decides to go and play golf with a guy with a General Vance who's being investigated. This is like the chief of Toronto police 
yeah. going to play golf with one of his senior officers who's being investigated by other senior officers for misbehavior. It is beyond stupid. Uh, and I feel sorry very much for Rulo because he, 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 is a, he, he is a tremendous man. Uh, you know, he, he ran um, the equivalent of our Navy SEALs, the uh, thing with a ridiculous license plate name, uh, J, J, JTF2. JTF2. License plate name. Yeah. <laughs> He, he ran that with, with, with distinction, although he was court-martialed once for accidentally um, firing his gun when he shouldn't have. But he's led it with distinction, and now his career's in ruins because of a golf game. How does that happen? Um, so I'm, I'm sad for him, and I'm, I'm, and I'm sad for our military. We have, we, have a, we have a defense minister who seems to me, again, a former military man who likely, well, did serve with distinction. I, or maybe not in Afghanistan. I think there was a question mark over his boasting about his activities in Afghanistan. But we have an untouchable uh, uh, defense minister who, because of where he's from, um, you know, cannot be fired, uh, is not in charge of the military. And the military right now is going through this terrible time. I would not like to, it's hard to feel pride in an organization that's going through what yep. they're going through with their stupid leaders. Um, and just to talk comedy, uh, I would also give the, the own goal foot in mouth award to uh, the MP, uh, William Billy, what's his name, the, the Quebec liberal, who... Oh, he, yeah! He on, I mean, look, hands up everybody, hands up all those of us who haven't pranced naked on a Zoom call and had a pee in a cup. I mean, forgot about that. I, I actually, like, like, Michael, I forgot about that. I was like... That actually, I remember we like I was on air both weeks when that happened. And the first time I was like, oh, you know, you kind of feel bad for him. And then it's how does this happen twice? And there was a whole discussion if it is a fetish. Like actually this man have an on camera. I don't know. We've all lived on Zoom for the year. You got to figure that out a little better. So that's that's an excellent one. They're both excellent ones. Um, so my go ahead. for some people, though, on that uh, young people today don't seem to like to forgive people uh, for for. Um, you know, for bad behavior or questionable behavior. And certainly Tubin of the uh, CNN and the New Yorker who did a very similar thing completely by accident. He's now been forgiven. I'm doing those rabbit ear quote things. And he's now back, uh, he's now back on television, which I think is an okay thing. He's served his time and, and I don't think you should be banned for life uh, for that kind of behavior. Although uh, there are some people who believe that's the case. Yeah. What do you I think? Um, so my, I wish I had thought of the, um, the nude politician. I think that would be a good one. Um, I had self-owned, I had traveling politicians, um, you know, God bless them. But the idea that as your government is saying, stay home, closing businesses that they're traveling, uh, to me is a bit bananas. Um, I had a few actually I had, I also had uh, premier Ford when he banned, uh, play playgrounds and police. And then within 24 hours, uh, had every other than the OPP, which they sort of are more directly controlling, had every police force in the province saying we're not going to use these state powers and parents rise up with the mighty force as they do to say, uh, hell no, we will have our playgrounds. They will not go. So I think that to me was incredible. And it's, it's actually why we're in this insane mid nowhere's land where we haven't had haircuts since November. Although I, I, I have yet to, I've met like two people that don't have their haircut now. I think the underground hair economy is like, is firing on all cylinders here. So those were kind of the two that, that, uh, that jumped out to me. And then the other one I thought of was Trump getting COVID because he spent all of the, uh, persisting it wasn't a thing. And then all of a sudden he got, he got COVID. And then you could just see the Biden campaign, like the whites of their eyes show, because it's like, do we take the ads off? Like, what if he dies? We don't want him to, what, like, how do we deal with this? Does this make him sympathetic? 
<laughs> and that whole thing was was I mean, the whole thing with Trump was insane. And you had the crazy senator from the American South taking a vacation in Mexico, Ted um, Cruz. Yes, Cruz. that was awesome. What were you thinking? I mean, that's way up there with the golf game, you know? What and then he lied. Then he said, oh, I'm just dropping my daughter off. But he ch- and then someone leaked his flight changes. All right. Um, what's your favorite most out there headline? Or do you want me to go first? Well, I, I, I think we'll save yours because it's... <laughs> It's, uh, it's saucy and, and delicious. Mine is from today's news, um, uh, which is uh, it's a long headline. It's on the web, so that's why it's long. It's from Insider, and it's a study that was done by um, uh, a neuroscientist in London on behalf of the London uh, Society of Journalists. And it says, journalists drink too much, they're bad at managing emotions and their spouses. Uh, they, uh, they have a lower than average level of uh, executive functioning, and they can't suppress their bias. Uh, <laughs> you go, whoa, is that, are you talking about us? Uh, and <laughs> there's apparently there's some, there's some, there's some evidence for that, you know? Um, Although so I could describe I, navigator colleagues too sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, 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 I, I think that may have described, you know, the drunken journalists, you know, perhaps from my generation, but today's young journos are um, as good as they are, and they are good, but they're, they're more interested in making friends in the HR department, you know, than going to the pub. Uh, <laughs> you know, they care more about, you know, uh, searching online for antique singer sewing machines, uh, you know, than going drinking with their pals, you know. They, yeah. You can be both. Um, and then they have something, uh, this is really weird, Amanda, maybe you want this, I don't know, you'll tell me, but they want something called work-life balance. Yeah. What the hell is that? You know? Well, I, I don't know. I was up till 2 a.m. writing presentations. I got up again at 5 and was up at 7.30. But I, uh, yeah, so I think I'm not, I'm probably not the right young person to ask that question to. I don't think anybody who works at this company is. But yes, they apparently like to have free time, as do most people, which is, uh, I think, an interesting um, thought. Here's mine. Um, and, and gird your ears. It's a bit more than, although this is not, this was from, so this is from Global News in the last year. Um Try glory holes for safer sex during coronavirus, BC CDC says. So if we will all recall, the BC Center for Disease Control put out a press release where they provided recommendations early on in the pandemic around how to properly engage sex, which is like a very, I feel like BC, as far as their like pandemic stees has been the most sort of just like out there with stuff. So I checked today, it's still on the website. So the recommendations were, quote, to choose sexual positions that limit face-to-face contact or use barriers like walls, e.g. glory holes, that allow for sexual contact to prevent close face-to-face contact. So That sounds very um, almost continental in its sort of bizarreness, you know? <laughs> um, all right. Uh, your worst prediction of the year. So we've been doing hot takes um, every every month. Um, I do a fair bit of commentary. I know you have you do a little bit too. What's your worst prediction that you made this year? Well, it's a little banal, but I but I know I wasn't alone. Um, I was among seventeen. Uh, there were seventeen of, of the country's top hockey writers, some of them in Montreal, who picked the Leafs to get through to the second round, as I did. Mm. Uh, but I was in good company with these uh, hockey experts, so I was uh, horribly and sadly proven hideously wrong again. Yeah, so I had a few. Um, I had, uh, I thought there wouldn't be a third wave. Obviously, that did not, that was not a thing. Um, 
I also predicted that Premier Ford would not fire Rob Phillips. So there's no way that's going to happen. That happened really fast. So I was totally wrong on that one. And then the last one, which I will totally own is uh, I did a year in interview where at the time um, the Premier was doing very well in Ontario uh, around his handling the pandemic, you know, very fatherly. So I said, he's kind of like Premier dad. And then that made its way around the internet. Uh, so I am the author of that, <laughs> that meme. So, and now, as we know, it's been a bit of a rougher ride. So those are my my most clunky okay. hot okay. takes. That's very honest of you to, uh, to, you know, to be so candid about that. How come we're hearing nothing from the peanut gallery here? It's very, are we saying su stuff of such interest and profundity? They've, they've no. all muted. They've all muted, guys. Any I see some smiles and some giggles, though. Any questions we're, so far or any feedback? We're, we're just outraged. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, <laughs> you BC residents are busy with, with your CDC recommendations. Um, all right. Uh, MVP. Who is your MVP? Uh, this is a good one. And these people are not very well known, I don't think. At least I'd never heard of them until I started Googling around in the last couple of days for for for. I'm sorry, it's a COVID thing, but for COVID heroes, is that couple of immigrants uh, uh, to Germany, the, 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 the man and the woman who, uh, who worked real hard to come up with uh, Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine, which I know we journalists think we saved the world, but these people really did. Um, and I hope they get a Nobel Prize. Yeah. Uh, I would tell you their names, except I would mangle the pronunciation and I would embarrass them if they heard it and I would embarrass myself. I also like Biden for calming us all down. You know, he's not done much for, you know, for the value of Valium stocks, uh, but, he, but he's but he's calmed the world down in a way that uh, and he hasn't made a clown of himself yet. He's no. A couple of times, but he's been pretty good, I think. He's pretty gaff proof. Actually, my favorite Biden was the uh, he tested. Did you see when he test drove the truck and just like peeled out like like it was insane like he just drove right past the reporters and bombed out it was really funny i was like oh biden's got some some speed in him no i think he's been he's he actually reminds me a little bit of it's not the same obviously but you mean you were there during the four years and i was worked for mayor john tory and after we came in to the mayor's office it was just sort of like everyone just kind of exhaled i remember the journalists at the time they would camp out in front of our office and like started and I was like, guys, like, we're going to have, you get a daily itinerary and I will tell you when he's going places, like, you don't need to eat your lunch on the floor. Like you can go do, and they slowly started to leave. And then one day we did a, we did media availability and they were all following us. Like and we had availed for half an hour and I just started, I was like, guys, what are you doing? And they're like, well, I, I don't know. We just, just in case I was like, you're welcome to, but just know, like, if he does, like, we won't, there's no news that's going to happen between now and like I get the camera guys because there's always the opportunity that somebody walks into a wall or a, which is a real thing that happens and they film it. But yeah, just like the exhale of the American public. I think it was the exhale of the city of Toronto. I was like, okay, the boring guys here. We can look away and look at something else. I, I do like the way he's, he's dealing with, with China, uh, which I think is, uh, we must make no mistake, uh, the government of China is our enemy in, in this country as well as America. And I like the way that he's dealing with, um, with Russia, which is that he seems to be strong and, but calm. Uh, not waving his arms around and uh, I, I like that uh, and I, I can only imagine what's going on behind the scenes but uh, we need to come to terms with uh, with Canada needs to come to terms with its relationship with China um, and we don't hear enough about our two Michaels or the theft mm. of our intelligence or or the two people in Winnipeg who seems to have disappeared uh, um, um, we don't hear enough about that maybe maybe that's because no one called a press conference 
Um, my MVP, uh, they're kind of a little more boring, but I think a good one. Freeland is my MVP. Um, I think she's one of the, she's been interesting, right? She stepped into the breach with the, the finance office. Uh, stakeholders seem to broadly like her. She's also, um, to my understanding, you know, there's two kinds of finance ministers, right? There's the, um, the Mornos or the Joe Olivers or the, you know, whatever's are more of a lower key kind of finance minister. There's those that have their own spheres of influence around them, like a Flaherty and, um, you know, like a Martin. And I think she kind of takes from that that she has her own space. So it's been, and it's been cool to watch the first female finance minister deliver a budget and a great pair of Canadian heels. So I, as a woman really enjoyed that. Um, I've enjoyed watching her, even if I'm not politically aligned with her. And then the other person I thought of was Beth. Ball. Before mm-hmm. you go on, yeah. As a woman, uh, Amanda, how do you feel about my guy, Mark Carney, he's going to push her off the stage? And be- <laughs> well, you know how I feel about Mark Carney. I am... Um, I res- he's very I respect him I think he's a very interesting guy but I look forward to watching her like her it, it may be like a Critchem Martin sort of bare knuckle battle right um I think it'll be really interesting to see the two of them go at it um I also think that being a politician is is an is a skill I think people really underestimate the ability how to be a politician how to how to do the cut and thrust which is a lot of the problems we saw with a lot of the kind of the star Trudeau candidates right they weren't politicians and the most successful ones we even saw in the Harper years were the guys that had worked under Mike Harris that was the the Bairds um the Clements until that you know thing that he did uh, and a few a few others so I think Carney's in for some rougher waters than he believes and I think if you read his like I haven't read all of his book yet but even some of the clips out of it that everyone's going gaga over like we don't know the value of the Amazon but we know the value of the Amazon like what no like what does that mean so um, I think it's gonna be very interesting, but I think if anyone, she's, I think she's up to the, up to the fight and it's good for everybody, right? When there's lots of leadership vying for your party, look at the conservatives now. Right. Um, we didn't have she's a lot no, of that. She's no, she's no more as good as she is. And I like her because she's a former journalist who, uh, who does know the difference between a bicycle accident and the collapse of civilization, which a lot of politicians don't. She does. Um, but she's not a politician either. She's, she's a journalist and was a good one and a distinguished one, but she's a journalist. Yeah, I think she, but she's had four years to learn it. That being said, I still had a, there was a clip of her trying to tap dance around the, uh, the military issue that was incredibly brutal. Um, so I think there's still some, some learnings, but they, but I, I would say she's got a bit more, she seems a bit more of a political edge to me than, than Carp, but who knows? I mean, we'll watch. I mean, he was at the governor of the bank of England, governor right. of the bank of Canada. Um, did you, say, did you say learnings? Is that, is that a millennial word? I don't that? know. I obviously, uh, yeah, I've obviously, uh, probably need to strike that from my, my uh, vocabulary. Learnings it's like is ideating. A huh? Is learning is a real word. It is a real, here we go. It's not a real, it's a real, Seth Simon. Um, all right. Uh, stories to watch. What is, you are a seasoned 49 years in the biz. What's we've all been hearing COVID, 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 COVID. What do you think a story is to watch over the next six months to a year? What's going to come well, up? The, the, I mean, the obvious ones is, is whether this Delta or Indian variant, whatever. What are we calling it? I mean, listen, who says we're not going to call the Indian variant the Indian variant anymore? You have to call it Delta. Who says that? And why does the media fall in lockstep behind that? I mean, are we waiting for Angela Merkel to say, hey, you can't call it German measles anymore. You've got to call it, you know, Omega measles. I mean, what is that? I actually know the answer to this. So I asked because we were calling it the Wuhan virus or whatever forever. And then all of a sudden everybody started calling it COVID-19. And I asked a news, a news, a news editor. And I was like, 
Like, do you guys get a memo? Like what happens? And apparently, yes, there is a memo that is issued from the World Health Organization to say, this is what we're going to call them. And then everybody calls it that. It's the weirdest. Yes, that they do fall in line behind. Well, it be, depends on who you think controls the WHO. But yes, or Angela, I've listened to Angela Merkel. But yeah, no, there's a memo that went so, out that told us all it's Delta. Was that a hint that you suggesting that China controls the WHO and it's- I, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> maybe you're not wrong. Um, I, I'm not wrong, actually. I, I believe that. But and it, drives crazy, it drives me crazy when an official says we're going to call something something else. Like we're going to we're going to stop calling Dolval Airport Dolval Airport, and we're going to call it Pierre Trudeau Airport. And every media in the country follows along with that, and I don't know why. Yeah. You know, it's bizarre to me. I don't not, know the Montreal. What's the Montreal Forum called these days? Bell Center or something or something else now, probably. Anyone on the pod from Montreal here, audience? We know what they call it anymore. Anyway, it's called the forum. For, I, mean, I don't know. I don't. Doing, I don't watch hockey. <laughs> doing my granddad on the porch. Wait, you know, get off my lawn thing. I know, but boy, I I, I don't like that. So I've got a couple. So you got you got. No, next. no, Michael, if you've got a few, far be it for me. You're the you're the editor, not me. Well, we're obviously watching, uh, you know, uh, the, the the rollout, uh, uh, which will take some time of the tragedy of the of the residential schools, and and here's what I hope, uh, and this doesn't mean that I doubt people, but I hope that that there's a real forensic examination of um, of that graveyard in um, in Kamloops, and it doesn't matter if 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 there, it, it doesn't matter to me anyway. It doesn't matter if it's not 215 bodies, if it's 196 or 133. That's still bad enough. So I, I'm not. I'm not concerned about that, but I, I would, if it's a crime scene, I would like it to be treated as such, um, uh, and 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 not as a as a as a cultural grotesquerie. If it's a crime scene, let's get at it and, and get our arms around it and figure out, you know, what what happened and, and what the responsibility is and what we can do going forward. You know, we're 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 at a we're having a, a time in, in in our country, and this time may last several years before we redo do that terrible balance. Uh, and and make make the wrongs right, uh, but part of it I think is getting a true forensic understanding um, and not getting too caught up. And it's emotional enough. I mean, it's but not getting too caught up with the emotion of it. And let's go to the science a little bit, and then we get a better, truer, and still horrific, horrendous picture. Uh, so I, that's going to be with us. Wuhan did that? Did the virus start in the in the lab or not? Well, first of all, it didn't. And Mr. Trudeau and Dr. Tam were all over the racism of suggest, no, we can't stop flights from China and don't suggest that it's racist, et cetera. Now it seems that there might be a case to be made for a, proper for a proper examination of where that came from. And we will get no help uh, from, um, uh, from, from the Chinese government. Yeah. And more interestingly for me, uh, is this cryptocurrency about which I know nothing and understand less. But I've dipped in $5,000 uh, to buy a currency called Hydra, which goes up to 6,000 and down to two and up to 5.2 and down to 3.8. And I'm gonna bail out when it gets to 100,000. <laughs> That's your plan. Uh, you tell me how that works and then I'll follow your investment strategy. Um, so my stories to watch, obviously, I think Indigenous issues, like you flagged it there. I think that's a big one. Um, I, more in the recent term Olympics, I'm actually like very keenly interested in what's going to happen there. I think, you know, we're seeing this sort of fluffing up of diplomacy with, you know, Biden diplomacy is back. Um, you know, Merkel's on her way out. Uh, we just had uh, BB's out of his. I just think there's a lot happening on the international stage. So how that plays out in those fears to me 
is very interesting. And then my, this is a weird little hobby horse of mine, but the notwithstanding clause, I know it's a nerd story, but it's a big deal that we are like, now there's a sea change around how we're treating the constitution in Canada. So for his, it's been used 11 times in its history, six in the last three years, Ford used it the first time this week, Legault used it twice, right? For Bill C21 and Bill 96. And I think Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau just sort of said like, you know, yeah, you know, you can amend the constitution. So that to me has a lot of implications. So what if Alberta does it? What if BC does it? Right? Like, I think there's a lot of things that could happen there. So to yeah. me, that is a story to watch. And I would, I would cover, even though I've talked about it on the radio and it's hard to make people care, but I really care about it. So that's my, uh, you know, one, one of my favorite stories is when, is when His Holiness the Pope comes out and, and prays for peace, which he's done again recently. Uh, and the media, you know, world media repeats this prayer for peace without assessing the efficacy of, of, of the prayer uh, each time it comes out. So what's going to happen is the Pope will, my prediction is this, the Pope will pray for peace. The media will report it. They won't assess whether it, anything happened the last time you prayed for peace and there won't be any peace there'll be lots of war and death and 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 more girls will be stolen from those schools in northern nigeria and and the, and the violence and rape and pillage in tigray and in ethiopia will continue and the congo will continue to have hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of internal displaced people um uh, and by the way if you want to talk about mental health as we as we do about covid oh mental health mental health there's a mental health issue, you know, when, when, when you're in Ethiopia or Tigray or Nigeria and your children are being stolen. Um, so there's going to be a lot of more bloodshed and, um, and the, the refugee problem, which has gone relatively quiet um, in Europe and North Africa in the last little while. Uh, Denmark is beginning to send refugees home. They've decided that, no, Syria is not so bad after all. So we're going to move refugees home. Um, uh, uh, some refugees, I think only this week, were sent back to Liberia. And that story will, will, will flare up again. Um, and uh, the media will report it. You know, years ago, I was, I was in Dallas and I was in a hotel coming down for breakfast. And there was a woman sat on her own. And it was Ann Richards, the governor. So I politely said, you know, morning, governor, you know, I'm from Canada. Would you mind if we would you answer a couple of questions? And she said, certainly. So we sat down and we had a chat and she told me her view of the media. She said, listen, this is how the press works. It's like there's a tree outside a ranch and under the tree, it's a very hot day. There's a bunch of old hound dogs and they're all sleeping. And for no reason that you could tell, one of the dog gets up on its front legs and sniffs the air and starts to howl. And then the next thing you know, a couple of others of them get on their front feet and howl. And then the next thing you know, the whole seven or eight, nine, ten hound dogs are all howling and they howl for a minute and a half. And then before anybody knows it, and for no reason anyone can tell, they all sit down again and shut up. So <laughs> that's <the> press. <laughs> all right. We are almost out of time. So uh, real fast, what is your election prediction federally? Assuming we're going to have one before we're back on the pod so I can hold you accountable for it in the fall. Who do you think is going to win and what are, what's majority and minority? It's I, it'll be a minority. First of all, there will be an election. Uh, I looked at the Nanos poll this morning. It's it's a walkover for for the for the current prime minister, Mr. Trudeau. Uh, so I think I can predict that. I also can easily predict that the Green Party will get way with lots of A's, way more media coverage than that party merits. Um, <laughs> and, and one final prediction, which you can write down if you wish: uh, all three of the real parties will be embarrassed by at least one candidate's social media history. 
I agree with you. Hopefully no one's peeing in cups anymore. That's the only, uh, maybe that bar they can raise for themselves. Um, I, I agree with you on actually all of that. So I will predict a liberal minority government um, and y'all can hold me accountable for it. Yeah, minority. Okay, yeah. interesting. I think liberal minority. I Well, who knows? Maybe majority, but I think liberal minority. Um, all right. That well, becomes- how, how are you spending? I mean, you know, they say you should never waste a good crisis. So how, how are you, what are you doing in the pandemic that's not a waste? What are you doing? Me? Yeah. Um, renovating, uh, a, renovating a cottage. We have been working every single weekend except for two. I have been, I laid, I took my vacation last week and laid flooring for most of it. Um, I've learned how to use power drills, uh, skill saws. Um, I've almost set the house on fire once. Uh, it's been, uh, it's, I cut down trees. Um, it's actually been really fun. And I will say as a woman, you're not really like, I wasn't socialized with like my dad had them, but I never used them. So it's like a really empowering thing to take like a massive fucking drill and just like go right through <laughs> like a joy. Like, it was great. You have and one of those Prada two belts. I do not. I do not. Although my partner, Mark, who I really want, I'm like, can you please wear a tool belt? I think it's hot. And he refuses to because carp it's a carpentry thing. And he's not a carpenter. He's like, he's electrical, he's electrical engineer. So I almost bought him one, but then they're like 60 bucks. So I was like, I don't, I don't need it that much. So what about you, Michael? What are you up to? In that? Well, I thought you'd never ask. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm also at the cottage stacking wood. And what you may, may not know is uh, there's, there's a skill to it. It's, it's geometry. You need a set square. And in Norway, uh, there's a couple of TV programs on the art of stacking wood and, and very controversial, bark up, bark down. Since you're interested, I'll tell you I'm a bark up man. Okay. Um, Want to read about that? It's, it's, it's just uh, uh, go New York Times Norwegian wood controversy. <laughs> but I'm a bark up man, and I'm also trying to um, move my French to a much higher level. And I'm watching a great French show called Savoir uh, Savoir, and it's a takeoff of uh, Jerry Springer, and so it's. <laughs> It's all about, it's all got lots of betrayal and spittle and that's, uh, I'm not wasting my pandemic, I'll tell you. Oh, that's amazing. Can you send me that story on the show? I will definitely watch it. All right. Uh, well, that is our uh, first uh, edition of Live Political Traction. That's our season finale. Um, thank you everyone for listening to it today. As you know, Political Traction is powered by Navigator Canada's. Oh, thank you guys. Yay. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced today by Simon Breton, Hunter Nifton, John Gardner, Kimberly Draypack, Nico Waltonberry, and Carolyn Swankin. And a very special thank you goes out to our special guest, Michael Cook, who is absolutely hilarious and amazing. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, rate us online wherever you find your podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. We will see you in September.